0: God, who does prepare a table even in the desolate places, be with us here and now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what is seen, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What have we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also with him give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of those Sundays where it seems the less extrapolating I do on the text, the better. Maybe that's every Sunday, I don't know. I wanted us to hear that whole movement there because it is a crescendo, and it's always disappointing when you just hear the very last bits of one of your favorite songs. Isn't it when you get on the radio and you, oh, I love that song, but I like the way it builds and it moves to that point? It's like hearing the Hallelujah chorus sometimes in a meat commercial or something, and you're like, well, no. And when you hear it in the, in the context of Handel's Messiah, it's amazing. Uh, it doesn't make me want to eat Salisbury steak. But we come here to this climax, this, this crescendo, as Father Lee said last week, which, which may be the climax of Pauline theology. For this is the same Paul whose own life was radically changed when he was confronted with, the, with this unbelievingly surprising vision by which he came to understand. God, not as a God who is primarily against us or against all, but as the God who is for all. It's a scandalous proposition, and it's made all the more shocking to him by the revelation that Jesus Christ is and indeed was God's Messiah, whose ultimate victory brought judgment, certainly as he expected, but also bore that judgment on behalf of every human being whose lives were primarily defined by rebellion against God, and that means all of us. For Paul, for the church, for you, for me, the cross then becomes the linchpin that holds our faith intact. It becomes an anchor in a storm-tossed sea. It becomes the answer to any lingering doubts we might have about whether or not God could ever really love us. For understand this, the torturous killing of God's anointed ought to have led to the greatest outpouring of God's wrath the world has ever known. And it did. Again, just in the most unexpected of ways. Falling upon the head of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. Indeed, functioning as a kind of anointing in itself. So that the very act, which ought to have doomed us beyond salvation, is the moment of salvation. The very, the very experience of all being lost is actually the very moment of the finding. What at first glance seemed to be the final straw, that decisive wedge that drilled down deep and kept us divided from God from all eternity becomes, to everyone's great surprise upon closer examination by the lens of resurrection, the means of bridging that divide. He did not withhold his own son, Paul writes. And this is the crux, the fulcrum for Christians, for the church, the hinge upon which all history swings. God is for us, and not just for a select few. He is for the whole world. He has shown it clearly in the person of Jesus. And if this Jesus, this God is for us, Paul says, Who can stand against? I would be remiss not to mention that the rest of the lectionary today seems to be screaming at us to connect this bit of Romans to the idea of God providing manna in the wilderness, God providing food, spreading a table in the desolate places. We have, of course, the Nehemiah reading where he's remembering that this is what happened, and the psalm is doing the same thing, and of course, Jesus is. Feeding the 5,000, which is reminiscent, indeed, a sort of recapitulation of this act. Feeding God's people in the wilderness. So what's going on here, dear lectionary? Because Paul didn't mention anything about bread or food or anything like that. Of course, it's very easy, if you look at it, to draw a connection between the God who has every right to let loose his wrath, but lets loose blessing instead. Did you read that in the psalm? God was so angry with them. He was so angry, his wrath was bubbling up. And so he opened the pantry door and he got them food. It's not what we expect to happen. What we expect is for this wrath to be let loose, but what instead is given is good and true food from heaven. And it's certainly true, that's there. But I want to make another connection to Paul's passage and all of this talk of God and Jesus giving people food food in the wilderness, and to focus just for a moment on what food does. After the 830 service, Father Lee and I both, well, I mentioned this in the 830 service, and I think it was a little bit of a, uh, I didn't mean to plug, you know, and I saw lots of people there afterwards, so I don't, I don't sell advertising space in the pulpit, just so you know. Um, We were talking about old vestments in the Middle Ages that had uh, sort of advertisements on them, and I, I thought of being like a NASCAR driver up here with like a chasuble with McDonald's and such. But right after the 830 service, both Father Lee and I and several other people, because I mentioned it, ended up at Pinewood, which is pretty common, and ended up ordering some bagels from the William Hoyt bagel truck, which if you haven't done it, I, I suggest you do it. But again, this is not a paid advertising space. It's like an NPR moment. It's, I'm just telling you about it. I'm not advertising But if you were to go there and you were to get yourself, as Father Lee did, the big bad, which is very good, or or the bagel burger, which I happen to love, and you were to devour these things because you can't help but devour them, what happens to that food? What happens to it? I mean, lots of things, right? But it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't poof into some sort of spiritual non-existence. It works its way into your body. And I don't understand all this because I studied film and, and nothing even remotely scientific. But it becomes part of your body's systems. It's enzymes. It, it works its way into your DNA, it, your muscles. It affects your brain and your heart, your overall health. It's written into the very constitution of your life. It becomes part of you. You are what you eat. And I think that's at least in part how we might begin to think through this beautiful paragraph from Paul where he wonders aloud what might even begin to threaten our union with God. It's not simply this. It's not simply this. You may think it's this. It's not. It's not that God is this external force who has said, well, I'll just decide to hold on to these people. I'll make a contract with them and I'll just sort of say, well, I'll hold on. I won't let you go. You won't be separated from me. That'd be, that'd be good news. That'd be pretty good news, but it's not what's going on here. Did you hear how Paul writes about the Spirit, about it groaning within you, about how we have the first fruits of the Spirit. You see, this is the gospel that God himself has been written into your very DNA, that he's bound himself to you, that there's no separating, there's no parsing out any more than you can track down every bit of breakfast you had and pull it out of your body magically. It can't happen. Christ's life constitutes your life, our life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this happens by means of what may be the only thing more scandalous than the cross. And that is the message of the gospel which says this. God desired to intermingle his life with ours. God decided to intermingle, to intertwine, to bind himself to us, to write himself into our stories and our lives, and to be inextricably bound to us. That is the good news. And so Paul is able to say, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What he's doing is he's picking up on these texts from Deuteronomy and Leviticus where God is saying, this is how you will know that I have left you. This is how you will know that I have abandoned you because you abandoned me. This is how you will know that I am handing you over because you have forsaken my covenant. You will experience all of these things. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. So Paul is saying, well if we experience those things, are those the signs that God has left us? No, because now it has been revealed at last in his Christ, in the Messiah, in Jesus. The God who suffers with us, suffers for us, suffers alongside us. So that when we suffer, we know that we are in the very place that God is and longs to be. In the cross, the most God-forsaken part of the cosmos is suddenly, radiantly God-filled. So in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, and let us be convinced today that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I don't like adding to the Bible, but Paul's left the door open here because there's things he didn't know about. But he said anything else in all creation. Neither COVID-19, neither the partisan politicization of every single aspect of our lives, neither these uncomfortable masks or these difficult laws, neither anxiety or depression. What else you got? Come on. I'm for real. Come on. What do you got? Online teaching. Come on. Unemployment. Come on. What do you think separates you from the love of God? Deep down. What do you think? What do you hold on to? What do you fear the most? Cancer. What about those secret sins you just keep getting pulled back into? Oh, he was going to give me 48 times to get over that one, and that was 49. That's it. Separated. No. Anything else? Doubt. Even your doubts. Even when you don't believe. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Believe it this morning. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's impossible. He has bound himself to us. He has made He has made a way. And he has entered into our very lives. So come today in this table set in the desolate place. Come and keep the feast. And in the keeping, know that you are kept. And know that he cherishes you. He loves you. And he holds you. That he dwells in us that we might dwell in him, and that all things work together for the good of those who love God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.